So <clears throat> things are a little bit different. One of the things that you've noticed is we don't have the big old screen on a card table, cringe. And that makes me happy. But this is an interim solution. The church that meets here Sunday afternoons uses these TVs and we said, hey, let's make your setup a little bit easier if you don't mind and we'll use the TVs for the words of the service and we'll use the, the TV for uh, having the screens for the worship notes and things like that. And so that's one of the things that's a little bit different. Another thing that's a little bit different today, if you haven't noticed, is there's a bunch of people right there. That's uh, Millbrae Bible Church's leadership. Wave, wave everyone. Um, Millbrae Bible Church is the church that Jordan Pond has grown up at, and Jordan, who's right there playing Cajon, his cool mom and dad are here, and so we're very excited. Wave, 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 Ponds, come on, yeah. And so we're excited to be with you guys. I just got to finish uh, my compelled evangelism training at Millbrae Bible on Saturday mornings. Last week was my final one, and so John Wu, their pastor, wave John. John and I are very close friends, and, and I was going to text John yesterday, I miss you, man. And so I didn't because I was lazy, and then they all showed up today. So that's pretty exciting for us. So uh, what we're going to do is I want to just have a real honest conversation with you, and it'll probably be me talking more than you. I apologize. But the real honest conversation is this. When Compelled Together started close to a year ago, Compelled Together was a... Uh, third service out of a church in Sunnyvale that we met on Wednesday nights, and the goal was to do church differently. And we started to do that, and we're doing it on Wednesday nights, and it was fun, but every single person there was not alive during the moon landing, all right? And, and so we were kind of praying and hoping that we would have people of all generations be a community, and God had really put on my heart in particular the city of Santa Clara. I grew up in the city I did stupid stuff in the city. I got arrested in the city multiple times. I love this city because I think God can redeem this city for the glory of his name. And so uh, many months ago, we started to, I personally started to candidate to be the lead pastor of Church of the Valley, having no idea what I was going to get myself into. But Jesus knew, and he knows how to refine. And so we have this second service, which is many of us are people that are from Compelled Together. Many of us are people that have been a part of that Wednesday night that eventually became a Sunday afternoon and was planting as a church. And now we're a part of Church of the Valley, this larger community of all generations. And so, very excited to be with you. But one of the things that I feel, because we have pews, it's a part of it, and because we have two services, and in between the services, there's not a lot of time for setup and things like that, is we've kind of lost the intimacy, which was compelled together. And so, even though we're not compelled together the church plan anymore, we are Church of the Valley, the church, one of the things I want our second service to be about is about not only growing more into the likeness of Jesus, which you're going to hear me say at least eight times today, but also being more intimate with one another. Because as we studied at the beginning of Ephesians in chapter 1, 15, uh, or, yeah, it's not 15, Paul says that he hears of the people's faith in Ephesus and their love for God's people. And what that tells me is those are two really great examples of what a Christian looks like. They exercise faith and they love God's people. So here's what I'm going to ask you to do, and it's probably just this week, probably not. I'm going to ask you to get out of your comfort zone and move up and actually sit in the front row and the second row and the third row and the fourth row. And we even have chairs on the side. And if you're a baller, you're welcome to sit on the steps. I don't care. But we want to be intimate. If you're a straight baller, you can even sit on the floor. But we want to make this room smaller and more intimate. Okay, so I'm saying that because I really think we have a sweet opportunity to connect more with one another. And we're not doing it because we don't have the room. We're doing it because we believe that God actually wants us to love one another. And in order to love one another, we got to be close to one another. Amen? Some of you were like, eh, kind of. <laughs> All right. So what I'm going to ask you to do is this. I'm going to ask you to stand up, greet one another, and then come up to the first few rows. Okay. Let's go. You're not on. You're not on. Jeff, his guitar. No, 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 Tim, I'm on. Oh, never mind. He's on. Do it. 
Oh, you guys are ballers. Come on. Slide in. I know, some people want to be on the ends, whatever. Slide in. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I like this vibe, John. We're not just doing this because it's easier to count us. <laughs> All right. Earrings. All right. Oh, this feels good. All right, let me just make it even more awkward because I like this. Would you hold the hand of the person next to you as we pray? Father, I thank you for the opportunity we have to be your people this morning. Jew, Gentile, barbarian, Greek, male, female, Yankee fan, Red Sox fan, Dodger fan, Giants fan, Jesus people, we get to celebrate you today. And so, Lord, as we worship you, may we worship you in spirit and in truth. May you speak to our hearts through the word, the very words of God. Would you give us the opportunity to know you better because of the proximity of your spirit inside of us. We pray this in your beautiful name. Amen. Awesome. Okay, we are going to teach you guys a new song. And I think one of the most bonding things as a group and a family is to go through a new experience together, which we're doing this morning. We're all in, so let's give it a shot. This is called The Way. Here's how the chorus goes, ready? Can all come to because they can't stay long. 
thanking you, John, for for bringing us here today and just to be able to worship you and, and praise you. So many times we <laughs> we feel like that's such a regular thing to do, but if we look at the world around us, we're we're truly blessed to be able to do this. Um, so now, Father, at this moment, I just I just pray over Tim. Um, I pray that you speak through him, that you use him to to feed your word and to feed your life to us. Um, let us hear and accept his words that you give him in, with open arms and, and just open up our hearts to what he has to say. And let it be something that we use to, to grow us mentally, spiritually, and just more in the likeness of you. Uh, we thank you for all you do. In your holy name, Father, we pray. Amen. Amen. You guys can have a seat. Grab your Bibles or grab the Bible in front of you or if you're in the front row, ask someone behind you. We are continuing our series called Horizons on the book of Ephesians as we're going verse by verse through this book that was written to the church in Ephesus. It was circulated around Asia Minor many years ago as Paul writes to the church in Ephesus describing to them who they are and what they do. And as we study this text, I want us to listen to this as who we are and what we do. I love this series, and probably most importantly, I love that the Word of God, the very words of God, are dictating what we're studying. So we're not, hey, I want to do this, and then, no, 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 we're going to allow the Word of God to dictate what we are studying, what we are learning. And so today, we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 3, we're going to go verses 1 through 13, but I got to be honest, if I were speaking at another church or at a conference or doing an outreach event, this is not a passage I would teach. It's one of those passages, if you've ever taught through the Bible, where it's kind of, it's an in-between thought. It's, he had just talked about this idea of this mystery, which was Jew and Gentile coming together, and now he's going to enunciate that even more. And then next week, we're going to study the prayer that he has for the Ephesian people, people in Ephesus. And so as we study this text today, just know that, again, it's not one that I would normally preach, but I think there is gold found in this, because it's the living, active word of God. And so don't miss the fact that I believe that this book was actually written by God to people. And it is from God, and we believe the words of it, and it, we believe it is the authority. But we do not worship the word of God. We worship the God of the word, whom is Jesus Christ. And so I want us to constantly, as we look at the scripture, to see what God says, but to not just be hearers of the word, but doers. As we jump into this text, I want to share this quote from C.S. Lewis. He was talking about this in, in, a, in a book, and he said it this way. He said, when I was a child, I often had a toothache. And I knew that if I went to my mother, she would give me something which would deaden the pain for that night and let me get to sleep. But I did not go to my mother, at least not till the pain was really unbearable. And the reason I did not go was this. I did not doubt that she would give me aspirin, but I knew she would also do something else. I knew she would take me to the dentist the next morning. I could not get what I wanted out of her without getting something more, which I did not want. And I wanted immediate relief from my pain, but I could not get it without having my teeth set permanently right. And I knew those dentists, I knew that they would start fiddling about all throughout my mouth and find other teeth that had not begun to ache just yet. Our Lord is like the dentist. Dozens of people go to him to be cured of some particular sin. Well, he'll cure it, all right, but he will not stop there. That may be all you ask, but if once you call him in, he will give you the full treatment. That's our God, because he doesn't just want to deal with one thing just because we ask him to deal with one thing. He wants to transform us more into his likeness. So I want you to hear that as we jump into Ephesians chapter 3, verse 1. Here's what it says. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles, for this reason, because as we studied last week that uh, Jew and Gentile had come together, that they had been adopted to be one people, but also that Jesus was the cornerstone is what we talked about last. And because Paul knows that Jesus is the cornerstone because of that. Paul knew that he was a prisoner of Christ. But this word prisoner is interesting because as he writes this letter, guess where he is? In prison. It, it was technically house arrest, which is a little easier. 
but he was in his home in Rome writing and penning this letter and a few other letters to churches that were circulated. But he was on house arrest, but here was the, here was the thing that made it a lot worse than just house arrest. He was chained to a guard for five years. And five years in, he's penning this letter to the church in Ephesus, and he calls himself a prisoner of Jesus. Don't miss the huge point in this is the fact that even though he was imprisoned not by Jesus, but by the emperor Nero, he did not call himself a prisoner of Nero. He called himself a prisoner of Jesus. You want to know why? Because no matter his circumstance, he knew that ultimately Jesus was the Lord above his life. So no matter what a Christian circumstance is, we are under the lordship of Jesus. It's going to be a common theme throughout this letter especially. And Paul understood in particular that he was bought at a price. And because of the cost in which it cost for Paul to have freedom and have life, it meant that God had to crush his very own son. I love most of you, well, probably all of you if I met you, but I love my son more. And yet God crushed his one and only son so that people could have life found in him. And Paul understood the price that was paid in order to buy his freedom, and he did not take that freedom for granted because he was indebted to Jesus. So let me ask you, if you are a Christian, if you've said yes to the Lord, are you indebted to Jesus with your life? Is the cost of what God gave up so you could find life change the way that you live at all? So why was he enslaved to Jesus? Why was he a prisoner of the Lord? He says in this text, for the sake of the Gentiles, the non-Jews, the Jews had heard about everything about God and what God was going to do, that he was going to free them and he was going to send the Messiah. But the Gentiles, they didn't believe in the same God. They didn't practice the way that the Jews did. And yet Paul had been given a mission that he would not have chosen and a story that he would not have written. And Paul, who was the best of the Jews, all right? So I grew up in the, in the 80s and 90s, so Michael Jordan is the pinnacle of basketball. Your Steph Curry's and LeBron's are nothing, just saying. And so Jordan, Jordan is, is the pinnacle, all right? Paul was Jordan of Jewish religiosity, all right? That's who Paul was. He, was. he was born to the right family at the right time, circumcised on the eighth day, you can ask someone else about that. And he did all the things that he ought to do as far as the religiousness was concerned. And yet he considered all his works without Christ but rubbish. And I won't use the word because there are ladies in here of the word he actually used to talk about his good works. But he understood his master's orders. And he understood his master's orders were actually his purpose. I was texting a friend this week and we were texting back and forth, and she was saying that they were thinking about moving and leaving the area and everything, and we were just kind of talking about community, and I said, you know, we left the area many years ago and moved to a place right below hell over by Modesto, and uh, when we moved there, one of the reasons we moved there was I didn't have a lot of purpose here. I didn't have a purpose. I didn't have a point. I didn't really know what I was doing. The crazy thing is when you follow Jesus, Jesus gives us a purpose. He actually gives us marching orders, if you will. So let me ask you three questions, and the first one has a lot of severity, and then it actually gets easier, but I want you to really self-examine. Are your master's orders your purpose? Are your master's orders your purpose? Let me ask this question. Do you know your master's orders? If Jesus is, is, allows us to be prisoners in him, if we are enslaved to him, if we are servants of the God most high, if he is our master, do we know his orders? And then ultimately, with your life, not just in your mind, but do you have a master? Do you have one that you listen to, that you follow, that you trust? I want you to wrestle with those questions. Verse 2. Surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. Verse 3. That is the mystery made known to me by revelation, as I have already written briefly. This word administration, I love this word, not because I love administration, but I love this specific word. Administration also could be quoted as dispensation, which you're like, what? Stewardship. Stewardship of God's grace. I love this phrase. See, I, I don't think I've always seen the grace that God's given to me as something that I'm supposed to steward, something that I'm supposed to administrate. But as followers of Jesus, we absolutely administrate the grace that God has given us. 
So we steward, we manage, let's make it simpler, more English, we manage our time for the Lord. We manage our treasure for the Lord. You know, all those finances that you have, they're not actually yours. And I'm not saying, hey, now give, and Jordan's going to play the guitar. That's not what I'm talking about. What I'm saying is that the money that you were given, the treasures that you were given, the blessings that you were given were from, Lord, from the Lord, and your job is to manage them for him. Oh, and your talents. So it's not just your time. It's not just your treasure. It's your talents. It's your gifting. It's your abilities. Guess what? God made you that way on purpose for a purpose to make much of him. But those who have not received grace cannot administrate grace. So when you see someone that rarely wants to give grace, that wants to kind of be a fuddy-duddy, if you know what that means, they don't administrate grace because they've never actually received it. In this text where he says, that is the mystery made known to me by revelation as I have written briefly. He's talking about this mystery, but this mystery does not refer to an enigma or some secret that is unknown. But the mystery that was currently being revealed in Christ, that Jew and Gentile could come together and be one people. This was a scandalous thing, and I'll show you why in just a moment. But back to the master's orders. Do you know the master's orders? Do you know what it means to actually be under Christ and to actually be a slave? And I know we don't like that word. A servant, a follower of Jesus. Some of his last words before he ascended to heaven were found in Matthew chapter 28. And if you've heard me teach, you've heard me teach this text. So I'm not going to walk through every specific verse, but let's go back to it. The great commission that the church treats as the great suggestion. Okay, so Matthew chapter 28. Jesus says before he ascends to heaven... All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go. (laughs) He doesn't say sit. He says go and make disciples of all nations. Disciples, I love this word. You've heard me say this before. Disciplined pupils is what a disciple means. A disciplined pupil of all nations. And that doesn't mean you just go to other countries. It means that people from all nations are people that you ought to be making disciples of. So guess what? The people that you make disciples of, they're probably not going to look just like you. Look around this room real fast. Look, look at the other people. Guess what? They don't all look just like you. That's awesome because that's heaven. Because if you're in a room where everyone looks exactly the same, you're in a club, not a church. Woo, that was good. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Love God, love others. And surely I am with you always till the very end of the age. See, this commission, church, this was our marching orders from the master. And every man, every woman, every child... These are marching orders. What? Children can't disciple? Oh, the heck they can. Yes, they can. And they can invest and they can pour out their lives because if they're found in Christ, they are to make disciples because that are the marching orders. And if you call someone your master but you don't do what they say, they're not your master. So this great commission or the great suggestion as the church in the 21st century treats it is this mission in which the Lord has entrusted us to administer. We get to administer grace. We get to steward grace. How? By making disciples of all nations. By teaching them about the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, the triune God, and to teach them to obey everything that Jesus commanded. Love God, love others, but he's with us throughout the entire process. See, one of the things we say at Church of the Valley is, alive in Christ, sharing his love. But here's the thing with being alive in Christ. Being alive means that you are spiritually alive. Another theological term is regenerate. And it means that you've come to know Jesus, you know him, you walk with him, and if you truly walk with Jesus, you start to look more like him. You guys know my favorite pun. When you spend time in the sun, people can tell. When you spend time with the sun, people can tell. Oh, But it's impossible to walk with Jesus and not be changed by him, to not have him rub off on you. And when we say alive in Christ, we say that we no longer want people to be dead spiritually. The problem with being dead spiritually is that most don't realize that when they are. So they're Bruce Willis in the sixth sense. No? 
No one's seen that movie? I just ruined it for you. He was dead the whole time. He didn't know it. <laughs> but here's the other problem. The line between being spiritually dead and being spiritually immature is super thin. You don't always know. And I know for myself, when I first came to faith, I had bad habits. Anyone? Seven of you and liars. Got it. <laughs> I had bad habits. I had bad motivations. I had priorities that were all about me. I wanted to make much of Jesus, but as I made much of Jesus, people made much of me, so I liked it. But the Lord, over time, has continually refined me through circumstances. In Church of the Valley, I'm going to continue to talk about the specific thing until you're sick of hearing it and you leave or you go to glory. We don't want people to just be saved. We want to see them sanctified. We want to see them grow more into the likeness of Jesus. Because if all people do is walk down an aisle, sign a card, pray a prayer, and they never grow, they haven't met Jesus. They've done the absolute minimum, which unfortunately, based on what I see in Scripture, doesn't save you. And yet when Jesus saves people, he saves us to be a people, to be a body. And look around real fast at everyone around you, okay? Look at those people. You need them. If you're Milbray Bible, if you're Church of the Valley, if you're what, you need the people that are around you. You know why? Because they're not perfect. So look at them and say, you're not perfect. Go. But here's the crazy thing. Hey, don't, don't get too uppity. Here's the crazy thing. Crazy thing. You ready? You're not perfect either. And as you're not perfect and you're spending time with one another, guess what? You rub off on each other. And you start to refine one another. Man, the church would suck if we all looked exactly the same. We all thought exactly the same way. If all of us had the exact same horizon, that's a cult. And yet we all come from different places different contexts, different understandings, and yet we all focus on the one point, which is Jesus Christ and him crucified and resurrected, and he adopts us into his kingdom. So we were saved to be a people, to be a body, and we need each other. But we, my hope is that we would live lives that are ready, willing, and hoping to grow. Gosh, church is worthless if you don't want to grow. Because you just come and you put in your time. There's movies that are way better than what we're presenting if it's not spiritual to you. If Jesus is a hobby, he's a lame hobby. Go get a different hobby. you got to make Jesus your Lord. So how does God grow you? How does God sanctify us? How does he transform us to look more like Jesus? I'm convinced that these are the very words of God, and I think we grow when we live these words out. So the crazy thing is that Great Commission was God's pyramid scheme to grow you more into his likeness. Because disciples disciple. And as we disciple and as we pour out our life and as we see our kids as ones that we need to not just talk about scripture with, but we actually need to see if they'll apply it to their lives. You know, I learn a lot about the Bible from my kids' focus and their lenses. Because the questions that they ask me, I go, really? Why do you think that? And it helps me understand where they're at. So we disciple our children. Man, I, if my dad was still around, I'd disciple him. We disciple the people that are around us that are in our oikos. And that doesn't necessarily mean we sit down once a week and study scripture. But we got to talk about things that are more important than soccer on Saturday. We got to talk about what the Lord is actually teaching us and doing in us. And so he grows us more in his likeness through discipleship. See what he did there? Go make disciples and you'll grow. You're welcome. Verse 4. In reading this, then, Paul says, you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ. So he's continuing with this mystery theme. And I believe Paul is continuing his thought from the passage that we studied last week, where it was this huge shocker to the first century Jew. Because the first century Jew thought, yes, Amos, the prophet in the Old Testament, talks about Gentiles receiving the kingdom. Like, yes, they're going to be saved. But they're going to be like JV. And we're like varsity right? No. God says the Jew and Gentile are the same people, that he brings them in to be his church, and there is no difference in his eyes. But this, this mystery was shocking. It was scandalous to the first century Jew. And in our 2017 culture, I don't know if we can realize the depth and breadth 
to this specific scenario because we live in a time and a part of the country especially where people around us aren't necessarily just like us. We don't have the same nationalities. I love, we are a cornucopia, a cornucopia, an onomatopoeia. We are full of different ethnicities and different cultures and different heritages. But this context, they didn't see it that way. They thought only the Jews would inherit and be God's people. But I'm grateful for the fact that we in this church don't look the same, that we have different backgrounds, that we have different situations, we have different nationalities, we have different heritages. We were brought in by different families, but it is through Christ that we come together and celebrate the fact that Jesus is coming back. So this is something I'm going to say consistently. Why do we come and spend an hour and a half here on a Sunday morning? Why do we come and join with God's saints? I believe we gather to celebrate, to be equipped, and to scatter into our influence. We gather to celebrate, be equipped, and scatter into our sphere of influence. And so I want us to always celebrate what Jesus has done. I want us to celebrate what Jesus is doing. And I want to celebrate what Jesus will do using you. So why do we gather? To celebrate. But we also gather to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. So I want you to think about this for a second. The work of the ministry, what comes to mind when you hear me say that? Do you think of passing out bulletins, which is needed? And we need people to pass out bulletins. Phyllis has been doing it for years here at Church of the Valley, and I thank God for her. Is, is doing the work of the ministry running sound? Oh, I thank God for Jeff, and I thank God for Mike, and I thank God for Moises and others who have run sound. But ultimately, that's not what we're talking about. Doing the work of the ministry is simply this, to go out and make much of Jesus out there. And so you're being equipped in here to go make much of Jesus out there with your lives. Because in theory, we're here for an hour and a half. Out there, we're out there for a lot more hours and someone's going to look it up because we're like that in here. <laughs> but here's what it means to equip the saints, that if you are a follower of Jesus, you would be trained to exercise faith throughout your week. That's what you would be done. That's what would happen. You would be trained to exercise faith throughout your week. So we read, we teach, we talk about scripture because we believe these are actually the words from God. And they point us to God. And they point us to who we are in comparison to God. And as we study the scripture and not allow it to harden our hearts. Because if all we do is read it and ignore it, our heart will get harder. It'll become more callous to the truth. We'll ignore it, we'll disobey it, and then we'll say stupid things like we used to be a Christian. But we have this opportunity every single week to come in here ready, not to just take notes, but come in here ready to take notes, to talk it over with other people, and to be challenged and held accountable to do something with what we've learned. The apostles, these men that were sent by Jesus to go preach and, and see people healed and and share the kingdom of God, the disciples, these men who walked with Jesus for three years, the followers of Jesus, which was the 120, but it's also us, and really just Christians. We are those who are willing to put into practice the very words of God. So if you don't put it into practice, I was a little nicer first service, but I'm not going to be in this one. If you do not put the words of God into practice, I think I have biblical understanding and authority to say that you're not a Christian. Are we about the master's business? Are we about doing what he told us to do? Church of the Valley, I promise you, if you would start or continue to apply the very words of God to your life, if you would look towards community inside the church that gather together as people that can refine you, not because they're perfect, but because neither are you, and because of that, you rubbing off on one another refines you promise you, if you would apply the word of God, you'll grow to look more like Jesus, and that has always been the point. I've said this before, and shame on me for thinking if I only said it once or twice, it would be enough, but sharing with one another what God is teaching you, that's why we do takeaways at the end of the service, and we ask you to do them in your small groups, and personally, teaching other people what you've learned, super helpful for you, super good for you, and if you're doing it, keep doing it. If you're not doing it, I'd encourage you to start there. But actually being supportive to one another to apply God's word to our life, to go, hey, how'd you apply what you learned? Nothing helps refine us more than that in community. 
helping us apply the words of God. So with the fear of hardening your hearts, or even becoming like white noise to some of you spiritually, if you're willing to put in effort to apply God's word, and all you think is expected of you as a Christian is to just hear about God, maybe take a note or two, maybe serve on a board or a committee, i got to be honest with you, you're not following Jesus. It's about actually loving him and doing what he says. And because if you're a Christian, he's given you his spirit, you can actually do the things that he told you to do. That's the problem, isn't it? People think, well, I'll just try really hard, and that'll make me a Christian. No, that's other religions. We're not about trying hard. We're about trusting the one who did everything perfectly. But when he gives us his spirit, he gives us the activator that makes it so we actually not only want to, but can do what he says. Some of you will be like, don't judge me, pastor. Only God can judge me. He will. Just you wait. And I would trust you. I would trust that doing what God says in your everyday life, even in the small things, church, is what we need to be about. It's really easy to do the big things sometimes. It's really hard to trust him, young men, when you're on your screen late at night and you're tired. It's really hard to trust him, young ladies, when you're talking about a friend and all of a sudden the conversation gets a little squirrely. It's really hard to trust him when you could get over on someone else at work by not, by not allowing all the truth to be told. But these are the things that God asks us to do because as followers of Jesus, we look like Jesus and we do what he says. Verse 4. In reading this then, you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ. Verse 5. Which was not made known to people in other generations as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. This wasn't this mystery, this idea of Jew and Gentile coming together, being one people. This was veiled for people that were in the Jewish faith, even as Jesus walked around. But now it's been revealed. By whom? The Holy Spirit. And yet the Holy Spirit spoke through apostles and prophets. He spoke through the word of God. He allowed the word of God to be spoken, written down, so we could know it now. And I do believe with all my heart that this is the authority. And when you have the Holy Spirit, when you read it, it makes sense. I'll be honest. When I was trying to disprove it before I was a Christian and I didn't have the Holy Spirit, it didn't make a lot of sense. Just me? Okay. So me and David, great. But the more that we're willing to apply this, and I don't want you to miss this, and I've said it over and over and over, but the more that we're willing to apply it to our lives, the more we'll look like Jesus. And I can't imagine something better than that. So do you believe that this is the word of God? Do you believe this is the very words of God? And if you're not a Christian in here, I don't expect you to. I expect you to trust in the resurrection, and then God will give you a spirit, and then you'll understand that this is his. But do you believe that this is the ultimate authority? Because if you've read it, and because if you believe it, wouldn't you look different than the world around you? If you've really opened this up, and you really believe these words, and you really believe Jesus came to do for you what you could not do for yourself, wouldn't you look different than the world around you? Wouldn't you look different than people who attend an Elks Lodge? Some of you are like, what's that? Wouldn't you look different than people that attend a social club or someone who hangs out at a nightclub. If we believe the very word of God is true, if we believe it to be the very words of God, wouldn't we be more urgent? Aren't there more people that need to know that Jesus is the Messiah and that he is Lord and he's changed us and so we want to share that with other people? Or are we just comfortable with keeping it to ourselves? Wouldn't we be less focused on pleasure and comfort and be more focused on administrating God's grace to people around us? I read this rant on Facebook this week. It was from a Facebook friend, and I uh, know him through another friend. And he, I won't say which religion he was a part of, but he was part of a religion. And he claimed he had faith, but I don't really know what kind of faith it was, because he also said that he didn't believe that you could actually know if God were real. He also said that he doesn't believe in the Bible and he doesn't believe it was from God because there were stories in it that he couldn't understand. There's stories in it I can't understand and I study it for a living. And yet I still know it to be true. 
see, here's the thing. You don't have to know all of the Bible, but if you're truly a Christian, wouldn't you want to know all of the Bible? Think about that for a second. Wouldn't you want to know more of who God is? I know Leviticus is boring. I get it. But when you read Hebrews and Leviticus together, it starts to make a heck of a lot more sense. That's free. Verse 6. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel. They're with the Jewish people, members together of one body, and sharers together in the promise of Christ Jesus. This was scandalous, yo. This was crazy. This was a statement that ultimately got Paul arrested. That. He got arrested. I just said it. Ain't no one coming in here going, hey, Tim, you're coming with me. No. But Paul said this, and it got him arrested, Acts 19 through 22, roughly. He got arrested for claiming the Jew and Gentile were going to be one people in God's eyes. So it wasn't your heritage. It wasn't your birthright that made you holy and set apart. It was the gospel of Jesus Christ received. So this society, this one, as we see Paul speaking to the church in Ephesus, and he got arrested for claiming this, this society looked at differences amongst people as impurities and reasons for exclusion. Don't we do that today? Can we just be honest? We do that today. But it's also done to Christians. See, many would say that Christians are wrong for thinking that their faith is the only one. And a lot of people think it's okay to be a Buddhist, Christian, atheistic, twilight-watching monk. And you know what? The exclusivity of Jesus is offensive. If it wasn't for Jesus and his words and the resurrection. This morning, do you understand that the resurrection makes Christianity exclusive? It's inclusive in the fact that any type of person, any, any heritage, any skin color is invited to be a follower of Jesus, to be a part of his people, to be his church. But it's exclusive in the fact that because the resurrection of Jesus, God gets the copyright on salvation. Because of the resurrection of Jesus, God gets the copyright on salvation. And I think culture wants us to believe that Christianity stands on belief that is hopeful and wishful thinking, but is unmerited. And a faith that has no evidence is just superstition. So I'm saying that for those of you that have grown up in the church that believe because your parents believed or believe because you want it to be true, we actually have a faith that's built on evidence, so let's not shy away from that. Our faith is grounded in a miracle that changed everything, and it was not a mystery. It was not an enigma or a secret, but for a while now, it seems like it has been kept quiet by Christians, especially in the past few generations, because we've either been misled or we're scared to have, have to back up the proof of the miracle in case someone asks us about it because we didn't see it happen. But here's what the resurrection changed. Here are two of many things that the resurrection changed. First, it changed the day of worship. For thousands of years, they were worshiping on Saturday. Jesus dies on Friday, rises from the dead on Sunday, and they start to worship on Sunday. That's crazy. It changed the day of worship. How many of you have grown up in the church? How long does it take the church to change anything? That's crazy. And it also changed how people could know that Jesus was it, that he was the Messiah. Because he didn't say he knew the way. He said he is the way. And he backed it up by calling his shot and rising from the dead. Verse 7. I, Paul, became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. He says, servant of the gospel. I love this statement as long as we remember three things. One, the gospel, Jesus is the gospel personified. Okay? Write that down. Jesus is the gospel personified. Second, the gospel invites people to repentance, not just belief. The gospel invites people to repentance, not just believe. Well, I believe in Jesus. So does Satan. Big deal. But have you repented? Have you trusted him? Have you said, not my way, Lord, but you are the way, Lord? So Jesus is the gospel personified. The gospel invites people to repentance, and the gospel is not about you. You say amen, but you act like it is. 
The gospel is not about you. It is not about me. It is not about a building. It is not about religion. It is about the fact that Jesus Christ did for you what you could not do for yourself, and we are indebted to him. See, one is not free until one becomes imprisoned by the master who is Jesus. And through the working of his power. So let me ask you a charismatic question. You ready? Some of your ears perked up. Ooh, charismatic. Does the power of God manifest itself through you? Does the power of God manifest itself through you? It's a charismatic way of saying, do you exercise faith in Jesus? Not by coming in this room, but do you exercise faith in Jesus through the way that you live? Because those included in God's people, they work out their salvation. You know what I didn't say? They work for their salvation but they work out their salvation by faith actually taking root in their lives and doing the things that the Lord has asked them to do. Verse 8. Paul's going to give some humble pie. Although I am less than the least of all the Lord's people, this grace was given me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ. Paul counted his good works without Christ rubbish. But he also knew that what he did with the purpose that he did was because of the grace of God. So, you know, if you get the opportunity to share Christ with someone this week, that was not because of you. That was because of the grace of God. And I know for me, I've committed cosmic treason against God over and over and over and over and over again. And that's after I came to Christ. And I have sinned against him, and I have not done what he told me to do. And like Paul, I've been a blasphemer, and I've been a persecutor against God's people. And yet God shows off using someone weak like me to make much of him. And I believe he wants to show off using people weak like us to make much of him because the weak confound the wisdom of this world. Verse 9. And to make plain to everyone, here's that word again, the administration, the management, the stewardship of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God who created all things. Paul was awesome. All right, again, Michael Jordan of religiosity, but also Michael Jordan of theology. And the Michael, I should stop saying, he's the Paul of the New Testament. He's Paul. And he was the greatest human missionary as well who was called to the Gentile people, even though he knew all the rules of the law, you would think that the Jewish people would be like, Paul, dude, you're here. And he'd be like, follow Jesus. And they'd be like, amen. But no, he went to Gentiles. He went to people unlike him. And that was God's predestined plan for him. And it was from the grace of God. And he shared with others that they could be included in this grace. Paul had been in prison for roughly five years. Paul had gone through the gamut of stuff where he would go and share Christ. He'd get beat up, thrown out of the city, run back into the city. Someone would take a rock, throw it on him. He'd get stoned, not the other kind. And, and he would get up and come back into the city, and he'd preach the God, and he'd just keep coming back. You know why? Because of the grace of God. So maybe your grace is not to be Rambo of Christianity. To be this guy who just runs into a city where people persecute you. If someone's going to throw a rock at you, I'd encourage you to leave. Okay? You can say your pastor said so. But Paul was willing to make known that Jesus was the Christ at all costs. You know why? Because of the grace of God taking root in his life. Paul had been in prison for five years at this time, writing this letter. He had been shipwrecked. He had gotten off of a shipwrecked boat, gotten onto an island, got bit by a snake. This dude was just going through it. But he was thrown in prison. For what? What were the charges? It was that statement. Paul was arrested for preaching that Jew and Gentile would come together and be God's people, one people. Verse 10. His intent, God's was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. Oh, that's not talking about, like, the president. What's that talking about? Paul is specifically talking about this mystery which is revealed to the apostles, and then it's being expressed, and it's being taught to mankind, but even angels and demons did not know the secret counsel of God. It wasn't like they were let in on it because they were in the, you know, upper room of heaven. So it is to be made known to the powers and principalities. It is to be made known to angels. It is the task of the church to make God's plan of salvation plain to the whole world. So, commercial. Simple gospel? 
It's about Jesus. It's not about you. God did for you what you could not do for yourself. Repent and be baptized, every single one of you, for the forgiveness of your sins. That's the gospel. Well, what about, were we predestined? Was there free will? Shut up. Have you repented? Have you trusted Jesus? Have you chosen to follow Jesus with your life? That is the gospel. And we, as the church of Jesus Christ, have a responsibility. We were his plan A. Look around real fast again. Can we just be honest? I wouldn't choose us. Heck no. And yet he chose to use the weak to confound the wise. So our responsibility as God's church is to make this gospel known. Why? Verse 11 according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. I love that he said past tense. Christ's finished work through his perfect life lived, his sacrifice on the cross, the resurrection from the dead, that was the finished work of Christ, but we get to do the unfinished work of Christ, which is to make disciples of all nations. Huh. We get to allow people to know who are liars and fornicators, idolaters, selfish, angry, full of envy, self-righteous, all of them. And that's just talking about the people in the church. That we can be adopted into the kingdom of God, not by what we've done, but solely through what Jesus has done. Verse 12. In him and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. So if you have your, your bulletin in there, there's some questions. If you're part of a small group, I'd encourage you to go through these questions. If you're not a part of a small group, go hang out with someone and go through the questions. But here's the main question I want us to ask. Do we approach God in freedom and with confidence? If you're found in Jesus, do you approach him with freedom and confidence? Because if God is God... If you are found in him, if he predestines, he foreknew you, he saved you by grace, he gave you your faith, and he's grown you more into his likeness, is there any reason at all that he who began a good work would not see it to completion? No, our God will. And he wants to grow us, and he wants us to come to him in freedom and confidence. And has our God, as we just sang, ever let us down? I'm not talking about, has he ever not given us something we wanted, spoiled brats? No, that's not what we're talking about. But has he ever not been available to us when we've reached out to him? He always has, and he always will. You know why? Because he never changes. And he's the same yesterday, today, and forever and ever. Amen. And it is through his faithfulness to his people that we give him praise, not our faithfulness to him. It is through his faithfulness to us. Verse 13. I ask you, therefore, hear this, to not be discouraged because of my sufferings for you. Paul went through it. Paul was arrested. But don't be discouraged. Bad things are going to happen. And then he says, which are your glory? What? It's really easy to get discouraged through persecution, isn't it? And I've said this before. In America, we don't have persecution like in China. Persecution in America is like we get defriended on Facebook. That's persecution. But we get discouraged through persecution and trial and suffering. But God in his infinite wisdom and grace seems to use specific scenarios like those to grow us. So don't miss that. See, we have, allowed, we have this opportunity to allow uh, something that generally would break us or make us cower in the corner or throw a tantrum or even say stupid things like, why would a loving God let bad things happen? But God can, does, and will use those things to grow us more into his likeness. The thing that happened in Vegas, horrific, terrible. And Christians are not equipped to even dialogue. Well, why would God let something like that happen? Why would God allow that to happen? Well, God's loving, but there's sin in this world. And people get choice. And because they get choice, they act stupid. That's not the full answer, but that's a part of the answer, and that's what most people can comprehend. But when we go through trials, when we go through heartache, when we suffer, God can ultimately use it for his pleasure. Worship team, come on up. I'm going to take you to one passage, and then we're going to close. James chapter 1 the Wapa book of the Bible, okay? 
James chapter 1. James, the half-brother of Jesus, is speaking to the church. He's the leader of the original church in Jerusalem. He's the head elder, the head pastor. And he says this, James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4, consider it pure, what's that word? Joy. My brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. That word also means endurance. In some translations, it's patience. The, the testing of your faith, the testing through trials, they test your faith and they produce perseverance. And then let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature. Okay, some of us in this room are more mature than others, and I don't mean spiritually, all right? And those of us that are more seasoned in life, one of the bummers about being seasoned in life, like this past week I was sick, I could not get over it like I could when I was 20. When I was 20, I just got over a cold. It was like, no, be gone, cold, and it was gone. But this week, it just lingered, and it lingered, and it was frustrating. But the maturity that James is talking about is a maturity to look more like Jesus. Do you know that our organist, who's seasoned and, and was alive during the, uh, the moon landing, let's just put it that way, uh, she, she's, she wouldn't mind if I said that, she's 83. She's been serving this church faithfully for 60 years playing that organ during the service. And one of my favorite things about Barbara is she's in our staff meeting as we're talking, as we're discussing scripture, is that she is still growing and being matured to look more like Jesus. So if an 83-year young woman can be matured, you ought to be matured by actually applying the word of God to our lives and allowing these tough breaks and these things that we go through to actually be pure joy because when God gives these, us these things, he's giving us opportunities to grow. So don't look at your trials as God's angry at you or your life sucks or life's hard. Look at the trials you go through as opportunities to grow more into the likeness of Jesus because as your pastor, if you're a part of this church, I have a focus, a priority, and a task that I don't think every pastor has. But I think this is specifically what God has said to me through his scripture, that my goal is to help you grow, which means I'm going to make decisions that are going to let some of you down, which means I'm going to make not every possible circumstance be easy on you because I'm not here to enable you. I'm here to equip you. But the goal is that we grow more in the likeness of Jesus. So for those of you that aren't really sure what that looks like, let me, let me tell you what it looks like. It means that you would be full of love and you'd be full of joy and you'd be full of peace. And you'd be full of patience and kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Sign me up. The problem is God's going to do this through a lifetime of you obeying him. So I just want to encourage you as we worship, we're going to take an offering. And because we're all close to each other, I'm just going to pass the bags. So if you guys came prepared to give, you, if you're a guest here, don't feel like you have to give at all. But if you came here prepared to give, if this is your church home, we'd encourage you to drop uh, an offering into the offering bag as it goes by. But we take an offering, yeah, okay, to, to keep the lights on and things like that. But ultimately, this money is stewarded by us to make much of Jesus that people would have the opportunity to hear about Jesus in Santa Clara and in San Jose and in the Philippines and Cambodia and in Germany and to the ends of the earth. You know why? Because God asked us to steward our time, treasure, and talent. But he's going to allow us to go through heartache. And as he does, look at it as an opportunity, as pure joy, brothers and sisters, to be refined more into the likeness of Jesus. Father, I pray for us as a community. I pray that as we take of this offering that we wouldn't feel compelled <laughs> to give out of have to, God, but we would give out of want to. So, Lord, would you allow this offering to be one that multiplies your kingdom for the glory of your name? God, would you allow us to be men and women who apply your word to our lives? And as we do, would we grow more into the likeness of Jesus? We pray this in your beautiful name. Amen.